We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. I would say that the pre-pregame meal, like the food you eat before you go out to the field for the game, is more ritualized. You can't eat a big meal, and it has to be something small and, you know, that's not going to fill me up. For me, and this is probably a lot of guys, it's like a peanut butter and jelly. It's pretty, uh, pretty standard. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm senior editor Anna Hiesel, here with editor-in-chief Matt Rodbard. It's not every day we have a professional athlete on the Taste Podcast. Today is actually a first for us because Anna's talking to Mark Canna, an MLB player who recently signed with the New York Mets. Boo, I'm a Cubs fan, but whatever, Mets are fine. (laughs) Anna, what was the occasion for talking to a Major League Baseball player on the show? So two things here. First of all, one of the most dedicated listeners to the Taste Podcast, who I happen to be engaged to, is a really big Mets fan. Shouts to Dan. Shout out to Dan. Secondly, Mark Canna is possibly the only player in the MLB who's also kind of a food personality. He's a passionate, adventurous eater with really good taste in restaurants, and he actually has a very popular food Instagram. His handle is Big League Foodie. So we talked about where he's excited to eat in New York and also his dream stadium food, to eat out of a plastic helmet. Here's Anna talking to Mark. Mark Canna, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. You are known as someone who loves to eat out. The last two years have been such a weird time for restaurants. I'm sure they've been a weird time for baseball as well. But with restaurants, so much opening and closing and false starts and hurdles for businesses to go through. How has your relationship to restaurants and eating out sort of changed during this time? Yeah, it's it's changed a lot because my wife and I are very conscious of, of the virus and, and careful as we have two little girls. And so... We don't, we're not eating inside right now. And that's, that's, I don't think we would do that if we didn't matter where we live, but in Scottsdale where we live, particularly, we especially don't want to eat inside. So we're only eating outdoors and that presents challenges at times. And um, so, yeah, we're kind of sticking to like a couple of restaurants where we're able to do that, where the food is actually decent, which is kind of tough to do right now because being in Scottsdale there there's not a whole lot of great food as it is so putting the parameter of you got it has to have an outside area that that's that we can get into and stuff um yeah it's it's difficult and we love to eat out so it sucks frankly have there been any takeout or delivery mvps of your pandemic like either while you've been on the road or at home just anything really memorable that you've gotten take out yeah we we've been doing this sushi place that we really like the other day we did like a staycation where my my in-laws were 
nice enough to to watch the kids for a day and we just dropped them off at the in-laws place and came back to our house and we got um sushi for takeout and just had a bottle of wine and it was like so good and it's just one of those gems i feel like um yeah like i said we there's not a whole lot of options where we live and, and we certainly have like i think a, a list a short list of four or five restaurants that we that we frequent pretty often what about cooking do you cook at all at home and have you gotten really good at cooking anything during this off season we do cook um my wife and i love to cook it it's very hard with with kids right now but i do a lot of uh pasta and like spaghetti and meatballs one of my favorite things to do is is meatballs or yeah just meatballs sometimes just bolognese if i'm if i'm feeling lazy um and just trying to kind of perfect that and like spruce it up with as much stuff to to make it kind of fancier and i just keep thinking about how we're scrambling to make dinners for the kids and and one of the things we recently discovered is that making your own pizza is actually not that difficult and so we've been doing that because my kids really love pizza and it's um i think we did it around new year's where we had and the kids can throw on some aprons and and that's kind of a fun thing we do as a family too and it's a great way to like get the kids in the kitchen and and i think that's that's important totally it's like a whole activity built into dinner like a whole hands-on experience yeah and they love it and they love getting their hands dirty and they love you know putting on their aprons and and being involved it's it's fun for everyone you always hear about professional baseball players like pre-game eating rituals and superstitions too. Like Mm -hmm. there's kind of this urban legend about Babe Ruth and like eating hot dogs. And you always see baseball players on TV chewing uh, sunflower seeds in the dugout. But what are your pre-game like eating habits like? And also like when, when do you eat before or after a game? Good question. Well, you have batting practice almost every day. So typically there's like, I eat a bigger meal. My big meal of the day is like lunchtime because you have some downtime when you have a night game, you have some downtime in between lunch and when you have to be on the field for batting practice. So lunch is typically whatever they're serving in the clubhouse. It's, it's, usually a catered meal, not always, but, but sometimes a catered meal, like sandwiches or, or something like that. But then I would say that the pre pregame meal, like the food you eat before you go out to the field for the game is more ritualized because it's, you can't eat a big meal and it has to be something small and, you know, that's not going to fill me up a lot. So I think for me, and this is probably a lot of guys, it's like a peanut butter and jelly is pretty, uh, pretty standard (laughs) and me being the person I I am is like I'll like try to fancy it up and and you know toast the bread and throw a banana in there and maybe some cinnamon and and try to make it fun (laughs) are you are you showing up at the game like with all of these supplies to make your own peanut butter sandwich or like this is just on the spot you're you're making it fancy this is on the spot. This is on the spot. They they have some 
stuff at the, at the field for us. There's like a, I guess you would like a lunchroom, a cafeteria kind of thing. Um, okay. Yeah. I haven't seen the Mets one yet because I'll be new to the Mets this year. But in Oakland, um, yeah, we had a small lunchroom. And, and if you, you know, it's the type of thing where if they don't have something, you can always ask for it and they'll kind of get it for you. Do you have a preferred brand of peanut butter for specifically for peanut butter sandwiches? Uh, yeah, well, I think if you're if you're not talking like local, like I'll just get like a a local one or something if I'm if I'm in a real hippy dippy place. But since since it's, it's the nature of baseball, you're always moving. So um, Justin's is is kind of reliable. <laughs> so how many hours before the game is is sandwich time? Sandwich time is probably a little over an hour before the game, probably hour 15 before the game. And then do you have a big meal after the game or like, are you ever inclined to like celebrate with a big meal, like after a really grueling game or after a big win? Yeah. Well, I think in New York, that'll be more of an option. It's hard because it's so late when you play a night game. It's by the time you're done, it's, 10 11 o'clock maybe by the time you're eating because you're showered and stuff so if i would i i don't really have the option to eat out before you know after a game but now that i live in new york i I guess that option will be a little that'll be the option will be there but yeah typically it's you're eating a lot after the game just because you're hungry and (laughs) tired and everything but yeah because it's so late that also presents challenges sometimes because you're like you want to go to sleep soon too so you kind of have to you play that balance game where you're like eating enough but not a crazy amount and it's it's easy for me to to go overboard and eat too much (laughs) when you're traveling during the season do you have a chance to eat out in like the actual cities that you're visiting or do you have to reserve most of your restaurant and like travel eating for off season? You get um, a handful of opportunities throughout the course of the year to, um, to eat out, whether it's um, I, and I always try to plan accordingly because there's, there's few opportunities, but I, I think I'd say about maybe a dozen times a year, you get a day game or an off day in, a, in another city where it, you get an opportunity and, and it's, you know, sometimes in the past I've gotten lucky where it's in New York or you get a, a day or two in New York or a day or two in Chicago or something like that. Um, or Boston, I've had really good meals. So yeah, yeah. You, you, there's definitely opportunities throughout the course of the year to eat out. You're probably like the most well-known food Instagram in Major League Baseball, I have to imagine. Oh, thank but you. are there are there other MLB players who are known for being really great cooks or like just being adventurous restaurant goers or have you bonded with any other players over food? I know there's people that are really into food in baseball, for sure. I've heard that one of my teammates, my future teammates, Taiwan Walker, is really into food. So I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to talking food with him. In the past, there wasn't really any teammates I had in Oakland 
but my manager, Bob Melvin, is really into food. We probably had more conversations in my six-year career in Oakland about food than about baseball. So, um, and then there were there were times when he would, he had a relationship with the general manager at the French Laundry, uh, Michael Manillo, and I think Michael would give Bob like recommendations on where to go in certain cities that we were traveling to. So I would pick his brain and and get some and I've had some really good meals based on those recommendations so the bay a, area is yeah. also such a good food part of the of california and like of the country yeah did you have so do you have favorite bay area restaurants that you'll really miss yes um and and we used to live in the bay area so like full time so i we since we've moved to arizona i missed the Bay Area like crazy and, and eating in San Francisco. I'll miss Dominique Krenn's restaurants. I'll miss, not that I go there very often, but uh, Chez Panisse, like being able to have those places at your disposal in Berkeley. And then just like, I miss being in the Mission and, and which is where we lived for, I think just one year, we lived in the Mission. And it was like, just having all those different grocery stores and ice cream shops and Mexican food and Mission Chinese and like all these cool places that you can go to all so concentrated in one little like neighborhood of San Francisco. I'll miss like stuff like that. But I think, I I don't know, but I would imagine New York kind of will have that similar kind of feel to it. Definitely. Are there restaurants that you're really excited to eat at in New York or neighborhoods that you're really excited to explore? Yeah, I I don't. The New York that I know is a very, probably very touristy like New York. And, and so the places that I want to eat at are like the big name, like Michelin star restaurants. But I'm, I'll say this, I'm, I'm really looking forward to just getting to know like the not those places and the, the kind of cooler, lesser known, the, the, the places where people who live there <laughs> eat and stuff like that, like on a re- more regular basis. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really just kind of looking forward to getting to know like the real New York food scene and, and not just like what I know, which is very little and very touristy, I think. Totally. Once you live here, you just have your own scene. I think for everyone, Uh it's totally different too. like what their view of New York restaurants is. Yeah, I mean, I'm part of the reason I'm (laughs) I was really excited to do this podcast was, you know, getting to know you and meeting you so that I could hopefully pick your brain once I get to New York and (laughs) and you can maybe point me in a point me in a direction or two. Oh, of course. I can also give uh, like baseball coaching tips, anything you need. Oh, yeah, please. Not really. I'm I'm not an expert <laughs> in that area. <laughs> La- when I have another question about like coming to the Mets, coming to New York. Last year, uh, Pete Alonso debuted his Polar Bear Burger at one of the City Fields concession oh. stands. If you had like an actual concession item named after you, what mm. do you think the item would be? And like what what would sort of like represent 
you as like both a person and someone who loves food and also as a baseball player? Yeah, I well, I immediately go to Italian food or maybe Mexican food because my wife is Mexican. So in terms of my food identity, I, I, I really like kind of feel connected to the Mexican side. But I also had, I come from like an Italian American background and my, on my mom's side and we had a lot of like ravioli would be like the food that, that like my, my noni makes ravioli. And that's like the, the thing we have at Thanksgiving that kind of makes us unique. And so I, now that I'm, I'm kind of saying it out loud, I'm like, I think it's gotta be raviolis. It would have to be Canna's raviolis. I love the idea of like even like one of those plastic helmets full of ravioli. Yeah, like they do instead a lot of nachos. Of... <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, why, why not? not? Why hasn't someone done that? Totally doable. And I feel like as a concession item, like plausible in the fact, in the sense that like raviolis can be frozen and you then like easily stored and stuff like that. Like that, that could totally work. What would be in your signature ravioli? Like a classic ricotta filling? Would there be like a few options? Yeah, I think a, a classic ricotta filling with a with a nice um, meat sauce. That's kind of how we do it in my family. I haven't even had like a ravioli out at a restaurant that I even really like can remember. Because all I, when I think of ravioli, all I think about is like my nonnies or my, you know, my moms. And that's, that's kind of the only time I eat them, I think, is Thanksgiving. Well, now it could be like game time, like yeah. at City Field. That could be the new time. I think it can and it should. One last question for you. What is a food city that you're dying to go to and to eat out in that you've never been to? I'm thinking international because I've been to a lot of, I think I've been to all the good ones in the United States. So I'm going to say like Seoul. I heard you guys talking about it today or when I was listening to your podcast and I was like, I need to go to Korea. And so I, I'm going to say like Asian food of all varieties is just so good to me. And I feel like I, so I know so little about it and that to, to, immerse myself in something like that would would be a lot of fun i think well mark thank you so much for being on the taste podcast thanks for having me we wanted to jump in today and really we love cooking we love eating out and as this pandemic kind of fades away hopefully we are realizing that restaurants are becoming more a part of our lives. And of course, cooking is always part of our lives. So we wanted to do a three favorite things type of segment. We haven't really named it yet. We're going to work on this kind of idea of the three things. So Anna, what is one of your three things you want to talk about right now in the restaurant world or home cooking world? Okay. A few weeks ago, Clarissa Y wrote a story for the New York Times about how the Lunar New Year is celebrated in Singapore through food. And she included a recipe for a Singaporean chicken curry, which I made for the Lunar New Year. And it's so good. It's just this beautiful braised chicken 
with cinnamon, cloves, coriander, coconut milk, chicken broth. It's so delicious. I had some friends over for dinner. The leftovers were, as is the case with many braised foods, better than even the first day. I love Clarissa's recipe writing. We've had she's written for taste, and and I have to think about Singapore, and I'm I'm like hearing coconut milk. I'm hearing all these spices, and it's like China meets South Asia. Is that kind of the way the the food? Is kind of plays out in these recipes. Yeah, there's so many culinary influences coming together in Singaporean culture. I really recommend reading her story, and I recommend that recipe. It's awesome. I also made um, her nasi biryani, which goes hand-in-hand with the chicken curry. Really awesome. Sounds great. What about you? What have you been eating? What have you been cooking? I've been cooking less because I've been traveling a little bit more, and... I recently visited Los Angeles. I was there uh, visiting my buddy Dan Holzman. We're putting out a cookbook, and we had some filming we were doing for that. Um, so I got to go out to a co- couple of restaurants. I, I want this this part this segment to be dedicated to some of my LA finds. The first one I want to mention is Dayglow, which is to many listeners you may know it as a direct to consumer coffee company. Really cool. You 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 can get one or two or three bags delivered to you at a time, and they really articulate this vision of the multi roaster cafe. Uh, the way that you you buy coffee, you're not buying it from one place, but you're buying it from multiple places. So you're not just getting Dayglow coffee, but you're getting coffee from Say in Brooklyn or Coffee Collective in Copenhagen. Um, but I went to the cafe in, in Silver Lake, and it was amazing. Do they have food, or is it mostly just the experience of trying all these different coffees from all over? It's a, They have a great pastry counter. Um, I actually was going all in on coffees, and I didn't try any of their food. But what I did, I, I, I met my buddy Bill Addison there, LA Times critic, and we, we sampled through some coffees from Manhattan Roasters, from Coffee Collective, or, yeah, Coffee Collective in Copenhagen. And um, I just love uh, the, to look at a wall and see... 12 different bags of coffee. If I were to ever open a coffee shop or coffee thing, coffee program, I don't know what you call it, I would do that. I would say, I I think that the coffee shop could be the new wine shop. Oh, yeah, totally. I recently went to Harney and Sons in Manhattan, and they have like a whole wall of teas and these sort of like old-timey ladders for the proprietors to climb up and get down whatever teas oh, you that's want. That's cool. So I'm picturing, you know, the Matt Rodbard <laughs> coffee wall. I love a good coffee wall. Anna, what else do you have? Okay, so this past weekend, I actually went out to eat with some taste writers, Tammy Teclamarium, Max Felkowitz. We went to Elmhurst in Queens. Mm-hmm. And we went to this monthly event um, that's called the Indonesian Bazaar. Oh, I love it. I've been, I've been three times. I love it. It's so cool. It's basically in like the parish house of a church. And it's a lot of vendors from the neighborhood, from Elmhurst, who are making really incredible food. And so one particular dish I'll call out is that I got a little bit of a variety plate of satay skewers, some chicken, some lamb, some beef, all served over these really delicious, spongy, like sort of cubes of rice cakes. Yeah. 
Um, and then like with peanut sauce sort of poured over. So like the rice cakes kind of soak up the delicious like grilled meat juices mm-hmm. and the peanut sauce. It was so good. I love that place. Did they have any entertainment on the stage? There's like a stage there. And they sometimes will have song and dance that I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, we were lucky enough to catch a cooking demonstration about tempeh. Oh, rad. Nice. And um, this particular one was about making tempeh rendang. Oh, cool. Yeah. I gotta go. I haven't been back in a couple of years. I'm gonna go there. Yeah, it's so good. I recommend it to any New Yorker or visitor to New York. Nice. So, Matt, what else have you been eating? Well, in L.A., I also made it down to Smorgasburg, which I, I go there every time I'm there. It's on Sundays. It's downtown at the Row. It's this massive complex of office buildings and sweet greens. And it's kind of a, an odd place, to be honest. It, it feels very uh, vacant. Um, I think they've had some challenges. But on Sundays, they transform the parking lot into this amazing outdoor food vendor uh, hall, not hall, a a vendor uh, setup. And it's always been my favorite stop in LA. Um, Smorgasburg has been around for a minute. It's been around for like maybe 11, 12 years in New York. And, you know, the ones in Williamsburg are are pretty good. They have some good stuff there, but I never really go. Um, But in LA, it's different. And I have to say the two stalls I always go to first are Tacos 1986 which is always, um, I believe I had a burrito taco there, and it was delicious. And Tacos 1986 has been written about in the last few years. It's a streetcar operation um, operating in Koreatown and in the east side, but they have a stall there. And Burritos Los Palma, I think, I will say this, it is the best burrito I've had in my life. I love it so much. Listeners, if you've ever had it, um, it's out outside of the city, at least the center of the city. I'm bad about L.A. geography. Um, maybe it's Bell, California, I think. That might be it. Don't quote me. But the, the food hall or the food setup in uh, at Smorgasburg is amazing for Burritos Las Palmas. So. Very cool. Yeah. What else do you have? Another dish that I really wanted to shout out is something I make for dinner all the time. It's like, you know, when you're trying to figure out what to cook for dinner and you're just in that specific mood, like just for like dinner food, but you don't know what to cook. Yeah. Um, There's this Melissa Clark recipe from the New York Times cooking section where you just like cook some Swiss chard and pancetta in a skillet, crack some eggs in there and like eat it with a loaf of bread. And it's just like what I'm always in the mood for when I just want like sort of a vegetable, something's kind of healthy that's <laughs> not going to take an hour to cook. It's really awesome. So is it charred stems first and charred leaves and then pancetta and then fried egg? Um, yeah, some peas as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Y- yeah, you kind of cook the the leaves and the stems down with a little tiny bit of chicken broth if you have it. Water's fine, too. And you just, like, let it get really tender and juicy and delicious. Throw the crispy pancetta on at the ends. Yeah. It's just, like, a perfectly balanced meal in one skillet. It's great. Sounds so good. Sounds good. Do you add any, like, sauce to it or any hot sauce? I add some, like, black pepper yeah. and pepper flakes, but that's kind of it yeah. for me. You totally could add hot sauce, though. I feel pancetta needs to always be in my fridge. I love pancetta. 
It's so good. I mean, better yet, your freezer. Right. Freezer. Duh. Yeah. It's, it's, you can handle it much easier in the freezer. I like the Susan Goen pancetta and uh, Brussels sprouts that she did for the New York Times Thanksgiving um, issue like 12 years ago, 14 years ago. Love cool. pancetta and Brussels sprouts. I'll check it out. What I have else? one more to say, and then we can close. Um, and it's extremely biased, but my, my buddy Daniel Holzman and co-author of Food IQ, the book we worked on, he has a pizza shop in downtown L.A. called Danny Boy's Famous Original, and I got to try some pizza there. I guess I also ball some doughs. He was a little shorthanded, so I got my shirt all, all flowery. And <laughs> and I have to say the guy is making amazing pizza down there. It is delicious. It's a New York-style slice, so he's got a kind of a, a, a bread oven you know, style uh, pizza. It's not Neapolitan. It's not pan. Uh, he does a Sicilian as well, which I think stacks up with a lot of the great Sicilians in New York. And the, he has a lot of attitude, and it's really fun. So I, I suggest uh, if you're in L.A. going downtown to Danny Boy's famous original. Love it. That sounds awesome. I also want to say I feel like L.A. doesn't have that many options for a Sicilian pie. Um, I mean, in New York, there's so many places that make it, but... I think Tejol's written about the pizza scene in L.A. and has, has made claims it's better than New York or, or something along those lines. And, and I feel there's val- that's valid. There's some amazing pizzerias there. Um, maybe I just wrote a story for her in the future. I can't remember if she yeah, wrote Yeah, she, she wrote about bagels. Oh, bagels. Sorry, Tejol. I may have just messed up the bagel and pizza thing. But maybe you should just check out the pizza in L.A. and make your own decision. When you were um, actually like helping to make pizza with Dan, were you were you doing the thing you see in movies where they like toss the dough in the air and then catch it and it helps stretch it out? I was balling portions. Were you wearing um, like a chef's toque, like a like a puffy paper hat of some kind? I was wearing a really great Danny Boy's hat, which is like the LA Dodgers, but formed with a slice it's great no i was actually just making these balls and they were the, it was the the balls that were proofing for like 48 72 hours so i had to like get all the air bubbles out of the ball so it's like a really specific style of um or process to ball it and mash it and i mean look back into a pizzeria like if you're ever you know around waiting for your pie to come out look at the work that goes into pizza it's it's pretty amazing and even if the pie is like average you still have to respect all the work that goes into it and there's always that guy in the back in the kitchen who just was visiting his friend. He's just in town for a couple of days. He got roped <laughs> into making some dough balls. There's always that. Every pizzeria has one. <laughs> yeah, the absolute sucker move who doesn't, who's wearing a dark shirt and doesn't have a change of clothes and gets to go to his next appointments covered in flour. Yes, everybody has a friend like that. <laughs> well, awesome. I can't wait to go to LA next time and check out some of these spots. Exactly. Well, great catching up, Anna. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Anna Heasel. The show is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Our theme music is by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.